Greetings, peasants. I mean, hello, brave and noble heroes. Welcome back to the Knights and Nerds podcast. This is Tim, your dungeon master. And I want to start off by saying thank you. Thank you to everyone who's listened to our show so far. We've got uh, three episodes, well, three and a half, I guess. If this is the first one you're listening to, thank you for joining us. But please do go back and listen to the one called The Beginning and listen from there. Otherwise, it won't make any sense. Today's episode, as you may be able to tell, is specifically for other dungeon masters. But that doesn't mean you have to tune out if you're not a dungeon master. You can still listen. We are going to talk about some stuff that's happened in episodes one, two, and three. What I predict our players will do and what I'm planning based on those predictions. So feel free to keep on listening, even if you're not a dungeon master, but we may get into spoiler territory. So just just a forewarning. Also, before we get into this, I did want to say thank you to those of you who have left reviews on iTunes or elsewhere. So if you're following us at our website, which is knightsandnerds.com, thank you very much for doing that. If you have you've left us a rating or review on iTunes, thank you for that. We have a few reviews, all of which are five stars, one from a Craig Buddy, one from Hudson Complex, and one from Fozzie Peach. Thanks to all of you for taking the time and leaving a review. It touches my heart in a way that's disturbing, but that I'm okay with. If you haven't left a review and you're just content to listen along, that is okay too. We're happy to have you here. Other things... On our Facebook page, which is Knights and Nerds Podcast, there is a subgroup. Is it called a subgroup? I don't know. Uh, Specifically for Dungeon Masters. So if anyone wants to join me there and discuss the inner workings of the campaign and what I have planned and an environment where we can discuss spoilers, uh, feel free to join there. It would be a lot of fun and it would not spoil things for everyone else. Seriously, jump in. Jump into that group. Ask me who the final bad guy is for this campaign and I will answer you. And also, I am planning for some new Dungeon Master episodes in the very near future, probably before the next campaign episode comes out, where I'm going to be doing uh, sort of a little series on creating uh, villains. I was thinking to myself, I wanted to talk about world building, and I'm going to do that too, but my approach to world building is... Uh, when I'm starting a new campaign, I, I usually will start with the main antagonists, the, the main villains, and try to structure my setting around them in, in one way or another. So world building for me is a lot about making a setting where your villain can have the biggest impact, can pose the greatest threat. Uh, so what we're going to do is a series where we are making villains based on player classes. We're going to use the player classes as inspiration. So the next Dungeon Master episode is going to be making villains, and we're going to make villains based on the Bard class. We may go into subclass. I haven't decided yet. I've already got some cool ideas that I think you'll like. If you don't like it, that's fine. Just know that you're wrong. Our talk on the bard will be the first in the series, and then we're just going to run right through. Bard, barbarian, cleric, druid. We're going to go through all of them. We're going to make villains, multiple villains based on each player class. 
And before we begin our discussion, of course, if you want, you can follow us along on social media. Knights and Nerds podcast is on Facebook. It's on Twitter at Knights and Nerds, or you just shoot us an email, Knights and Nerds podcast at gmail.com, or our website, as I've already mentioned, is knightsandnerds.com. And if you want to support us in some small way, you can go to thingstimwrote.com slash books. We can look at some books that I wrote. They're ebooks, they're inexpensive, and they are pretty good. And if you don't want to, that's totally cool. All right, we're about to begin the discussion. This is your final warning in case you don't want to have anything spoiled for you. Still here? Okay, awesome. Let's get into it. So let's talk about a few brief things in episodes 1, 2, and 3, and then we're going to go into where we left the players and what I'm planning for them. So in episode 1, we accomplished a few things. We introduced the problem, we introduced key non-player characters, and we introduced the central antagonists, at least the central antagonists that I think will occupy the first half to two-thirds of the campaign. The key NPCs, of course, being Elwyn the Weaver and Lord Kalira, who is sort of the subject of the campaign, uh, of the immediate goal to try to get her back from wherever she's gone. Uh, We introduce the problem that she's gone, and we introduce the Villains, as I said, in kind of the most common way possible. We introduced uh, the villains to the player characters while the players are at a very low level. Uh, So they're kind of aware that they uh, can't really take on Agarand and his sorcerer pal just yet. So they're going to have to, you know, level up before they can can go toe-to-toe with them. And I anticipate that they will cross paths a few times. I haven't really planned anything out in that regard. Uh, But, you know, we'll figure that out along the way. Something else that was introduced is this problem of uh, new life, this elixir that gives people temporary strength, but also sort of uh, drives them insane. This has kind of had a few benefits that I didn't anticipate. There have been, what, two, three, no, two, two encounters so far with people who have been using new life. And I realized, you know what, since, since I've already said that there are so many different people making variations of this elixir. I can basically make these enemies do whatever I want, and it'll take the players completely by surprise. Uh, in the first encounter, somebody got thrown. In the second one, somebody got pushed back. And also in the second one, Spruce Lee got effing annihilated. Ugh. So something about that very first encounter, every encounter needs a reason to exist, and the reason that that very first encounter episode one was to sort of introduce what people affected by new life behave like but more importantly it was to drive the players to the hook uh something that i don't think they really noticed and if they did notice they were polite enough to stay quiet uh was that once one of the enemies was fleeing i said you chase him and that brought them to cross paths with elwin who gave them the hook you know, he was he was the key. Um, and I know that that is probably considered railroading, but uh, I think when it's that early on in the campaign, and if it's to bring your players to the hook, the basically the, the inciting incident, I think it's permissible. In this case, we're not removing player agency. Uh, they could still have refused the quest at that point, but, you know, they're all there because they know that there's going to be a problem dropped in their lap and that they're going to be expected to solve it. Yeah, a little bit of, of a narrative, um, a strongly guided narrative moment 
Episode two went uh, more or less how I thought, but one thing I did not expect was for the players to engage the help of one of the several factions that are active in Ferris Point. Yeah, I really wasn't anticipating them to go to Perfo. Before the game started, I gave everybody a handout. Included in the handout was a list of factions. I think there were about eight or ten. These were all factions that their characters would know about. And one of them was Perfo Parkinslap and his house tent of Perplexicon. It reminded me of, of my last campaign where the players needed to get from point A to point B and they had a, a one-use item that could teleport them. And it was convergent that they get to point B. But they had a map of the area and they saw that there were all these little uh, dots and demarcations showing where there were, you know, villages and settlements and things like that. And they were like, you know what, let's go exploring. And it made me furious. But after I figured, you know what, You've created a world and your players are, are voluntarily interacting with it in a way that you didn't expect, which is kind of a compliment. So I can't recall off the top of my head who suggested going to Perfo, but uh, I think it's cool. I think it's great. So let's talk about the Thieves Guild. Um, I really wanted to have the player characters interact with the Thieves Guild at this point uh, for a couple of reasons. The first was that I did need Elwyn uh, to have some time to research his book on interplanar teleportation and having the players do something rather than just say, okay, we're going to go explore the city. You know, I like to keep my improvisation to a minimum and I don't want to improv entire sessions if I can avoid it. I like to have at least a, a framework of what's going on. So I didn't want them just to say, okay, we're going to go out and do this or do that and and kill time uh, because that makes it seem like there's nothing important happening. And the other thing that I want to accomplish with this is sort of to introduce the players to to what factions may offer. And in short, it's this. Either you can be neutral towards them, have no relationship, or they can be an ally or they can be an enemy. I wanted to present them with a problem that had several choices, each with some benefits and some drawbacks, and see what happened. Uh, And I wanted those choices to be um, conflicted. So when we last left them, the head of the Nimble Knaves, Martin the Cloak, was offering them a chance to basically secure his silence. He knows where Elwyn is. The players don't want him selling that information, but they really don't have much to offer. Uh, So he has said, if you can find out who is providing new life to my guild, uh, then my silence is pretty much assured. And before we get into sort of the details of what I have planned, I will say this. Martin the Cloak, the thief, the head of a thieves ring with a strict code of nonviolence is based on an actual real-life historical thief. Uh, If you think you know who it is, you can drop me a line by way of Twitter at Knights and Nerds or Facebook page, the Knights and Nerds podcast, or you can email Knights and Nerds podcast at gmail.com. Uh, the first correct guess as to which historical thief Martin the Cloak is based on, uh, I will name a random non player character enemy who gets killed after you. So if you want to be in the podcast as someone who dies, uh, shoot me a message at uh, one of those places. In order to determine how this problem gets solved, uh, we have to sort of start at the end and work our way back. The first step to this is to find out who is responsible. And in order to do that, I need to figure out 
Like, who else is in the Thieves' Guild? There's Martin the Cloak, but does he just have, like, you know, an army of faceless thieves that work for him? I mean, that's kind of boring. Maybe there's a little bit of a ranking system. Uh, Some people are held in higher esteem, perhaps. So we have to figure out who is in the Thieves' Guild. But there's another question that we have to answer as well, and that if someone in the guild is using this new life elixir and is providing it to other people, why doesn't Martin know about it? Martin's already demonstrated that he is a person of considerable means in terms of acquiring information. So you would think it would make sense that he knows most of all about what is happening in his very own guild with his very own people. So the question becomes then, you know, what is the reason that Martin doesn't know? What I landed on was that the culprit should be someone close to Martin that Martin trusts completely. That is why Martin doesn't know, uh, because he trusts this person absolutely. So I sketched out some ideas and I thought, you know, what's what's kind of a cool character to have in a thieves guild? And I thought it would be uh, interesting to have a dwarf uh, because they're more con- they're more they're more associated with m- melee. So now we have this dwarf who I named Thorn Twinhammer, and I had to think, you know, why is he using New Life? Why would he risk? Why would he risk the displeasure of his best friend and potential excommunication from the Thieves Guild? And the answer is he's he's using the the he's using the New Life to boost his combat capabilities. And he is using violence in his heists because they're more lucrative. We've already established that Martin doesn't like to do this because he feels like it will bring down some harsh reprisals from the Iron Guardians, you know, from the law uh, against his guild. And he doesn't want that. He wants to do business subtly, even if it's less profitable. But Thorn, he doesn't care. He just wants the money, man. He just wants that money. And he risks the displeasure because he doesn't think he is risking it. He knows that Martin trusts him completely, and he's taking advantage of his best friend's trust. He's keenly aware that if someone went and told Martin, Hey, Martin, Thorne's using new life. He's doing all sorts of crazy stuff. He's hurting and killing people. He's using violence. Martin's going to be like, get that out of here, you know? He's not going to believe him. He doesn't believe that his best friend would betray him, because why would he? So here we have two characters, Martin and Thorne, and they each want the same thing, but they're going about it by different means, and those means are not compatible. Martin with his nonviolence and Thorin with his ultraviolence. How does this relate back to the players? Well, what I'm hoping will happen is that the players will cross paths with Thorin and discover that he is the one to blame. And what I want to happen then is for Thorin to offer them a, sort of a payment to them. He'll say, hey, you know what? If you help me with this heist, you can get half of the loot. If you just keep this between us and you can blame this on somebody else, blame it on some no name, I'll keep doing my thing. And then, you know, we'll probably never see each other again. It's a win-win. But here's the problem. Here's the here's the conflict. Do the players take Thorne up on his generous offer? Or do they try to convince Martin, which is, I think, a very difficult task, that his best friend is deceiving him and is really the one to blame? Um, my experience is if you dangle a too big of a carrot in front of the players, they might say, hey, this is too too good to be true. And in this case, it kind of is. They can help Thorn with this heist and blame somebody else. I haven't planned a heist yet, but I guess I'll... Uh, crap. I guess I'll have to do that. But here's the thing. 
they will get a short-term reward if they help Thorne, yes. But if they leave him unchecked, he will continue to use more and more aggressive tactics. And then that will absolutely lead to the downfall of the guild. And then they will no longer have Martin as an ally because he'll be arrested or, or in hiding. In fact, they may not even not have him as an ally, but they may have him as an enemy, which would be super cool. On the other hand, they would have a difficult task in convincing Martin that his best friend is a problem. Uh, but if they were able to pull that off, uh, I don't know how they're going to do that. And frankly, that's not my problem. That's the player's problem to figure that out. Um, they'll have Martin as an ally. But depending on what happens with Thorne, uh, if he is left sort of on the loose, uh, he may come back at the players and being super pissed. Uh, he would be a cool enemy to have. So what I'm going to have happen is that these, the thieves that they have tied up right now are basically going to point the finger at another thief who I have named Owen the Quick. Now, Owen is using New Life. He's one of a few members of the Thieves Guild who sort of works closely with Thorn. Uh, he is getting sort of frightened of the increasingly violent uh, tactics that Thorn is using, and he kind of wants out. So when the players show up to question him, he's going to be sort of uh, very willing. He's going to be very willing to help them find a solution because uh, he's kind of worried that he's going to get killed one of these days. So once they're in touch with Owen, Owen will say, yeah, it's Thorn for sure. Thorn is the problem. And he'll tell them, you know what? Something has to be done. But uh, you can't just go and tell Martin because Martin won't believe you. Maybe Owen will suggest that they actually kill Thorn, and that way they'll have solved the problem. They'll have removed the threat to the long-term survival of the Thieves Guild, and then they'll need to lie to Martin. If he finds out that they've killed his best friend, yeah, that's going to be a problem. Uh, that's going to be a problem that I don't think they're going to want to risk. Uh, they've just got their hideout set up. They, I don't think they're going to want to go uh, searching for another one, especially since it seems that Martin found them pretty easily. Yeah, so th that's sort of what I have planned. Now, here's what I expect. If I can get them in touch with Thorn, and Thorn presents them with the choice, I expect that they will try to get Thorn arrested of his own actions, and that way he'll be out of the way. And then it won't really uh, matter if Martin believes them or not, because they can say, well, listen, Thorne's been arrested. Let's see how long this problem lasts. You know, once the source has been removed, that's basically proof unto itself. And he, Martin, at that point, will really have no choice but to accept that they are telling the truth. But this leaves me with uh, the task of having to imagine uh, a heist, an encounter which may or may not take place. And it would have to be a dangerous one if Owen is wanting out. So I thought, you know what? Agarand is the new boss in Pharaoh's Point, and he's probably going to need to start bringing in supplies. So yeah, it would be pretty cool if Thorn and those other thieves that work with him try to knock over like a supply caravan. You know, maybe it's containing weapons or some magic items or some gold or some platinum, you know, something enticing. Now, what's going to make this encounter dangerous, other than the fact that, you know, you've got uh, a caravan maybe guarded by half a dozen soldiers? 
what can we do to make it a little bit more interesting? Let's throw in a few elements of the unexpected. I don't want to get into a full rant on encounter design. It's good to have the circumstances of your encounters change every round. If not every round, every other round. You got to change something in your encounters so that they don't go stale. Every round or every other round, change one aspect of your encounters that challenges your players. In the last episode, the players fought some mercenaries and two of them had nets. And these guys have never fought enemies that had nets before. And I was like, you know what, this is going to give them... Uh, an opportunity to think tactically. Uh, Usually it's just, you know, roll for hit and roll for damage. But if you throw something in there that can lay some conditions down on your characters, and I'm talking like restrained, blinded, stunned, stuff like that, man, that always throws them off. Oh, it's so awesome. So in this instance, not only will we have the caravan be guarded by some soldiers, but a couple of those soldiers are going to have canine backup. They're going to have death dogs on leashes. Uh, Death dogs are in the monster manual, uh, page, I don't know, 300 and, you know what, it's too far. I'm not going to get it. It's too far and I don't want to get out of my chair. Death dogs, somewhere in the back of the monster manual. Uh, Look them up. They are super cool. Not only are these going to sort of reinforce the idea that Egoran's soldiers are the bad guys because you don't see heroes walking around with death dogs. They're two-headed dogs. Give me a break. So not only will they reinforce that idea that, yeah, the players are dealing with some very bad guys, uh, but the death dogs have this uh, bite attack that poisons the players and they have to get that poison uh, cured. Oh, geez. I don't know what it does off the top of my head. Uh, I think it lowers their hit points. Okay, shit, hang on. Fine, I have to get the book. Okay, yeah, here it is. Yeah, so they have this bite attack uh, where if the players fail a constitution saving throw, they have to repeat it every 24 hours or their hit point maximum drops by five points. Boom. Are you kidding me? Like, Matt has been rolling terribly all campaign so far. He is definitely going to die from this. I will... I don't want to guarantee it, but I 100% am sure that this will kill Spruce Lee. Uh, something else, let's say the the doors to the back of this armored caravan are trapped. The trap maybe sets off some kind of spell that blinds, or maybe it, it lays down a web spell, you know, um, behind the, the, uh, the caravan. Um, or maybe there's just a couple other soldiers stowed in the back, kind of like an armored armored car. You know, you got some, some dudes just hanging out in the back, and maybe one of them is a spellcaster. But you know what, if the encounter is too hard up front, if this even does happen, this is all hypothetical, we can always draw those things back. Maybe there's not a trap. Maybe there aren't guys sitting in the back of the uh, of the caravan. Um, if the players are near death, yeah, you know what, it's okay to pull back. This isn't story crucial. This is totally optional. This no, makes no sense to have to kill one of them this early. Or does it? No, no. Probably not. You know what? I'm undecided. So yeah, that's kind of, uh, that is what I have planned. And uh, we'll see what happens. We will see how wrong I am. My my inclination, though, is that they will try to resolve the problem with Martin on their side. So hopefully the choice gives them some, some pause, not only about how they go about resolving the problem, but on whose side they want to be when it resolves. 
As I said, I don't have any other encounters with other factions planned yet. I have some general ideas floating around in this mostly empty head of mine. But when the players do encounter these other factions, I want to have these difficult choices for them. And if we can tie in some things to their backstories, oh yeah, that'll be good. Uh, So I think that is it for this episode. Uh, I want to say thanks again for listening to it. Uh, I hope it was interesting. Uh, In future episodes, I'm going to get into sort of, what do I have planned? Uh, I'm going to talk about some world building, because that's always fun. Character backstories and how I'm going to sort of build parts of the campaign around character backstories so that we can get some sweet-ass character arcs going on. We are going to go over encounter design more, probably. Uh, We'll make our own monsters for sure. And I'm going to talk about uh, the twists that I have planned. Oh yeah, that's something that I forgot. Uh, I've been foreshadowing the hell out of some stuff. There were a few things in episode one that were foreshadowing, and the whole presence of this new life elixir is a huge plot point uh, that is crucial to, I would say, probably this, the last third of the campaign. I do have a few twists planned, and I will be going into detail on how I plan to accomplish those and how I hope that the second twist doesn't kill every last player, because I genuinely think it might. So that's it for me. Uh, thank you again very much for listening. Uh, I really hope that there was something useful uh, in this, and if you've disagreed with everything that I've said, that's that's awesome. I don't know how you can sleep at night. If you are enjoying these episodes, and I sincerely hope that you are, uh, you can support us by going to my website, thingstimwrote.com books. I am an independent author. I have a fantasy trilogy out right now. Again, that's thingstimwrote.com books, and you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Nights and Nerds, on Facebook, Nights and Nerds Podcast, or by email, Nights and Nerds Podcast at gmail.com. 